This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Wow. Maybe we could start the show that way every morning. I'm pretty sure I could find a Beatles song for pretty much every subject that we're going to talk about. Well, you've certainly done it for this morning, Monty, because we have with us as our guest, Sylvia Gover, who is a dream work professional and author, and Leslie Newman, of course, one of the most renowned writers and poets here in the Valley. And they together have created a new book, How to Sleep Tight Through the Night. And... I would love to know. Oh, I should mention for those of you who are tuning in today, because uh, we did promo that Medea Benjamin will be with us. I uh, communicated with Medea yesterday, and we are lucky enough we'll be able to have her for the second half of the show on Monday. Medea Benjamin, of course, is the co-founder of Code Pink, and she has a new book about the Ukraine that I think you're going to really want to hear about. We're so fortunate we'll be able to have her for that extended period of time on Monday. Back in the USSR. Oh, I thought we were still playing the Beatles song for every <laughs> subject game. We will. We're all set for Monday already. Okay, great. Sylvia Gover, Leslie Newman, thank you so much for being here. Congratulations on this beautiful book. I wonder if you could tell us what inspired the two of you to get together to write it. Tell us a bit more about it. Uh, who is it is intended for parents or for kids? Uh, how to sleep tight through the night? Let's start with you, Leslie. Well... The book was actually Sivia's idea because as you introduced her, Sivia is an expert on dream work and sleep and all of that. Um, and I am a children's book writer. So we got together, it was Sivia started the book and uh, realized that she could use some help from someone who is adept and experienced in writing for children. So she brought me on board and it's not our first collaboration. Bill, you might be interested to know that we collaborated on Heather Has Two Mommies over 35 years ago. Sivia was the original publisher of that book. I didn't remember that. Yeah. So we have a long history of friendship and working together. Okay. So let's turn to Sivia. You are the DreamWorks professional. Tell us a bit about the content of the book, uh, who you intend as the audience, and... Describe it a bit for our listeners, if you would, please, Sylvia. Sure, I'm happy to. This is one of those books that I hope you could say that you can judge a book by its cover. It's, um, it's a beautifully illustrated book for children. And um, it's, it's filled with tip, little tips and techniques and activities for kids to help them befriend bedtime so that bedtime's not so much this thing they have to do at the end of the day and they're fighting with their parents, they don't wanna do it, but more of a nurturing and a cozy time and an adventure where you get to, you know, uh, you turn off all the screens and you open up to dreams, which are like movies, right? They're like adventures that are custom made for you. So there's a lot of focus here on reasons to get to bed, and fun ways to make bedtime inviting and um, and cozy and full of uh, nurturing sleep and dreams. Let's talk about the second part of that for a minute. Uh, kids sometimes have really bad dreams. They have nightmares. Uh, they find that they and their parents can find very disturbing. Uh, is that a part of what you deal with in this book or not? Yes, absolutely. One reason that adults have trouble sleeping, and it often starts in childhood, is because they're afraid of nightmares. They're afraid of scary dreams. And children have more nightmares than adults. 
And it is a really important thing for adults to know how to help kids through nightmares. And so, yeah, we address that in this book. We have uh, some very non-threatening um, ideas and suggestions for coping with the monsters that can come in the night and how to, again, I keep using this word befriend because we sort of put ourselves in, um, in an antagonistic relationship with sleep and dreams but both are very healthy and nurturing parts of sleep. So yeah, we have suggestions for how to help kids um, feel more relaxed and empowered to face nightmares. So uh, can I just interrupt? Please. So for example, one of the activities is called Make Friends with Monsters. And it says, if a mean dog or creepy ghost shows up in your dream, imagine you can shrink it until it fits inside a safe, clear box you can hold in your hand. And then the activity goes on to say, now that you can't hurt you, ask it questions. And it has a list of suggested questions you can ask this monster. And I, lo I love the word befriend, which Sibia keeps using, because that's exactly what we're trying to do here. Trying to befriend the monsters. Exactly. So I would be interested to know this from you, Sibia. You have been working as a professional in the field of dreams for a long time, can we and can kids actually influence their own dreams and their reactions to their dreams? I'd really be interested in your thoughts about that. Absolutely. Dreams, I always say, are a co-creation. You know, we are co-creating them with we can call it a mysterious part of ourselves. You know, a psychologist might call it the subconscious. Um, but we are definitely co-creating them. We, we are active participants in our dream life. And so we can influence, I like to say influence and not control um, our dreams. And one way is when we pay attention to our dreams, and when we respond to what the content of them is, the, the emotional content most of all, we can help ourselves have more experiences of positive dreams, more experiences of clear and wise, helpful dreams um, as we sort of work past some of the dreams of anxiety and fear and um, you know, those sort of more challenging emotions. And then, of course, there's lucid dreaming, which children often have spontaneously. So the lucid dream is the best example of a dream that we can have some interaction with when you know you're dreaming while you're dreaming. And for a child, that often happens in a nightmare. The dream gets so scary. You know, the, the witch is coming at them, and they realize this must be a dream, and they wake themselves up. So as they get older, they can learn to play with that moment. And instead of waking up, when they say, oh my goodness, this is so scary, that witch is coming at me. Instead, they can stop and do some of the things that Leslie just described, practice making themselves safe so they can talk to the witch and ask questions. So within the dream, they can decide, I'm gonna make a magic shield so she can't hurt me. And now I can say, what do you want from me? And they can get really valuable information and feel strong and empowered that they face down this scary thing. Monty, 
Sivia, are you able to do this in your own dreams? Because I can ever, every once in a while manage to muster up some sort of actual control over a dream. But most of the time, the best I can hope for is that I would wake myself up in a situation like that. I could never conjure a shield in my dream. Yes, you can. We can work on that, Monty. But Anybody. Can you? Can you? Can That's what I'm asking. Like, it. Can you personally do it? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes, I do. Nice. <laughs> and so can you. And one thing I want to say is that this is part of what the message of this book is, is that sleep and the message of all the work that I do is, is that sleep and dreams, they don't have to be such passive activities. We can take some ownership, we can have some agency, and we're trying to get kids into good habits from the start, that they can you know, have some say-so in what bedtime's gonna be like for them, and even what their dream life might, might have. So let me go to, back to Leslie and Newman here for a moment. I should point out, Leslie and I are just united by friendship, but not by uh, familial bloodlines, as far as we know. Have you changed your approach to dreams since you've been working on this book with Sivia? Oh, that's a really good question. I have definitely um, practiced putting intention to dreams. For example, as you know, my beloved friend Patricia McLaughlin died in the spring. And I was, this is a funny word, dying to dream about her. I really wanted to dream about her um, because I missed her so much. So I kind of just went to sleep with that intention for a good couple of uh, weeks maybe and she finally came to me in a dream and it was such a wonderful experience because I was asked to write her a eulogy for her and I couldn't do it until I had that dream and then the whole thing opened up for me. So yes. What do you say, let me turn back to Sylvia for a moment. Sylvia, you being the expert on dreams and a dream work professional, what do you say to people who, in response to a conversation or as part of a conversation about dreams, saying, I don't dream, or I don't remember my dreams? What, what's your response to that? Well, you do. Um, everybody dreams several times each night. And so what you're really telling me is that you don't remember your dreams. But absolutely everybody dreams. And Bill, often when somebody does say that to me, even if we just keep the conversation going for another minute and I say, oh, really, you know, you never had a nightmare as a kid or do you ever have a dream where, as Leslie was mentioning, you know, a loved one who's passed on has visited you? Almost always they start to say, oh, well, actually, yes. So the first answer is you do dream. And the issue is you're not remembering them or you're not paying attention. Well, you're asleep. You don't have a lot of it. It's not like you can, you know, be in the back of the classroom and start to do, you know, look at the comic books and avoid it. But I'm wondering whether there is something that distinguishes people who say, I don't dream, which you are telling us means they aren't remembering their dreams, and those who do remember their dreams or remember them occasionally, which, and there's a related question I want to ask you, which is, is it a good thing to try to remember our dreams? Okay. Those were a lot of questions. First, in terms of paying attention, what I mean by that is paying attention to the fact that we do dream. So as you're getting ready for bed, you might think, you know, I want to remember my dreams tonight or I'm going to dream tonight. And that's a way of paying attention. Or when you wake up to just spend that moment trying to 
think, did I have a dream? So um, you asked a good question. Is it easier for some people? Are there some people who are more likely to dream? And the answer is absolutely yes. Um, there are psychological types that have an easier time remembering dreams um, and are more likely to have vivid dreams. But anybody can practice remembering their dreams by paying that little bit of extra attention, as Leslie was saying, setting an intention um, before bed that you want to dream or you want to dream on a certain topic. And again, these are some of the skills that in real simple language we put into this book. I also want to mention when you asked Leslie about her dreams, uh, we, she and I have spoken about dreams a lot over the years. Uh, she's shared some dreams with me that have um, been really very beautiful. So I think we've both influenced each other when it comes to dreams. We are speaking with Sylvia Gover and Leslie Newman. They are co-authors of a new book, How to Sleep Tight Through the Night, Bedtime Tricks That Really Work for Kids. When we come back, I want to ask the question about how to a parent or grandparent should deal with a child who is having a nightmare and you walk into the room and what should you do? We'll pose that question right after this break. Birds singing in the sycamore tree Dream a little dream of me This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Say everyone, Gordon Oliver here, and if you don't know me, I'm the host of the weekly Saturday show, The Cambridge Connection, on WHMP.com and wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. For the last year, I've been privileged to connect you, our listeners, with experts from a variety of financial industries and organizations that offer assistance and education to help everyone become more financially fit. See you on Saturday. Judy Bailoff stops by to share the secret behind her new book, 365 Days of Abundance, Saturday, 9.30 a.m., here on WHMP. Saluting our community's first responders today and every day. Greenfield Fire Chief Bob Strayon on his crew's tireless service and their professionalism and resiliency shown during COVID. Every day is a constant threat of becoming exposed or getting ill from the virus. We take our precautions when we interact with the public, especially on medical calls. We use our proper protective equipment. Um, I just commend them for the efforts that they've put from day one before the pandemic, starting to recover from the pandemic. The fire department, especially the firefighters. They stand ready for any challenge that comes their way, and uh, they've done a great job, and they will continue to do a great job to keep the community safe. We're grateful for our first responders, and so are our sponsors. Lundgren Honda of Greenfield. Experience it. Everyone at Lundgren Honda knows our first responders give so much to our community, so now they want to give back to them. In appreciation for their service and dedication, local first responders are invited to LundgrenHondaOfGreenfield.com's homepage for details on an exclusive offer. Thank you for keeping our communities safe. Mary always worked, always paid rent. Then she got sick, lost her job and her place, and has since been living in her car. The nights are getting cold, and Mary needs to move inside. Thanks to the money raised by Northampton's Shelter Sunday, Mary has options. Shelter Sunday supports four organizations that feed and house the homeless in our community. Shelter Sunday, this Sunday, October 2nd. Look for the Shelter Sunday mailer or give online at northamptonsheltersunday.org. 
If your Spanish-speaking employees spoke better English, would that be good for business? If your English-speaking employees spoke a little Spanish, would that be good for business? The International Language Institute delivers workplace language training, improving communication among coworkers and with customers. You get financial assistance with the Massachusetts Workplace Training Express Fund. They cover 50 to 100% of the cost. So let's get going. Call or email the International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. It happens all over Massachusetts. Can you tie my shoes? In every home and every community. Be careful on your bike. Learning can happen anytime, anywhere. Hi guys. We'll see you at practice this weekend. And no matter how learning takes place in your family's life, Desi is there as your partner. The Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Never stop learning. Find out more at mass.gov slash back to school. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Department for Elementary and Secondary Education. Dream, 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 dream. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our Monty's retrospective. <laughs> no, that's actually not what we're There's doing. so many great dream songs. Yeah. Oh, the Everly Brothers. That, that, I love this one, too. It's a beautiful yeah. song. We are speaking with Sylvia Gover, who is a dreamer professional and author, and Leslie Newman, writer-poet, uh, renowned writer and poet. And they have collaborated on a new book, once again collaborated. The title is How to Sleep Tight Through the Night, Bedtime Tricks That Really Work. For kids. Before the break, I had posed the question. I'd love to hear the answer. And I pose this to you, uh, Sylvia. When a parent or a grandparent uh, hears a child uh, having what, frankly, I guess I think we call a nightmare, um, you walk into the room, what are you supposed to do? Or what's the yeah, best thing? That's... What's the best thing to do? Yeah. The best thing to do is to acknowledge the reality, so to speak, of what the child just encountered um, and give comfort and listen. So I think listen would be the number one to ask the child about the dream. You know, what did they just experience to reassure them that they're okay now and to help them get grounded. Um, it, it's hard to sometimes make that transition from the dream to being awake. So little things to help the child ground, like having a glass of water, or in the book we talk about something a child can do for themselves, which is to look around their bedroom and start to name what they see. You know, there's the blue chair, and there's my brown teddy bear. There's something about saying the color and the object that helps them make that transition back to now I'm safe in my bedroom. And then in the morning, the next day, if the child's still thinking, you know, ask the child if they're still thinking about their dream. And if so, maybe have them do some of the exercises in the book, such as, you know, draw a picture of the dream, think about how they could respond to such a scary dream next time, you know, what, would, what might they have liked to have done, just to help them talk about it and to get that sort of creative thinking um, flowing in terms of, you know, in the world of the dreams, they can do anything, you know, so they can call on superpowers and that talk of superpowers can help them feel more confident and strong in the face of these scary, scary dream images. 
which is really helping your child to become more strong and empowered when they face anything difficult in their life. Is the parent or grandparent trying to wake the child up or not? Uh, the caregiver? Yes. I think that's, um, I, I like to say caregiver yeah, too. Yeah, better, better, there's better. There's so many different possibilities. But absolutely, the parent, the grandparent, the caregiver. Some people feel that it's best to let the dream play out. So to just sit with the child maybe and be there for them when they wake up. But, you know, I say use your own judgment. Use your intuition. If it seems the child's too distressed, yes, you know, help them wake up gently and in your arms so that they feel comforted. Um, but remember, parents can get scared about their child having nightmares too. And I think it helps to remember that nightmares are a real natural part of the child's psychological development. And in most cases, it's just a natural, healthy part of learning to deal with emotions and learning to deal with the scary parts of life and that we shouldn't worry too much about it unless, again, you need to follow your intuition as a parent or a caregiver, you know, unless it seems to be um, happening every single night for a long period of time, then maybe you want to talk to a psychologist or a doctor or somebody who can support. Let me turn from Sylvia Gover back to Leslie and Newman. We've talked on the show before with you, Leslie, about your children's books, which are just so, so, so wonderful, one after the other. And we've I've asked you before about the illustrators and have learned a lot about the work that an author does or doesn't do with the illustrator of her book. Uh, can you tell us about this illustrator at all? Uh, have you ever worked with uh, this person before in another book? And uh, maybe you could describe for us some of these really beautiful drawings that are in your book, How to Sleep Tight Through the Night. So the illustrator's name is Vivian Miniker. And no, we have, I've never worked with her. And, you know, I feel like I do this weekly dispelling the myth of the way authors and illustrators work together because we don't really work together. The author creates the text and then the illustrator works with the editor, the publisher, and the art director at the press. So we didn't really see these illustrations until they were very far along. And um, one thing that was important to both Sivia and me was that the illustration showed great diversity. So the illustrator was successful in, in showing children of various races, of various abilities. At one point we said, how about a kid with glasses? We never really see a kid wearing glasses in books. And then it was kind of funny because what she illustrated was a kid sleeping with his glasses on. So we had to say, well, that doesn't really work. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that was changed. But the, the illustrations are very um, joyful, playful, and kid-friendly. And I really, really like them. I'd like to go back to a minute for a minute to the question that I began the book, began the book, began our conversation with the book is titled How to Sleep Tight Through the Night. Bedtime Tricks That Really Work, in parentheses, for kids. Is this a book to be read to children? Is this a book to be read between caregiver, by caregivers to children, to be read by caregivers uh, by themselves? What is the intended audience? So, you know, I don't think it's the kind of book that a kid is going to pick up like um, Olivia 
for example, or, you know, a really fun book. I think this is the kind of book that an adult would steer a child towards and the child and the caregiver probably would read it together and perhaps pick out some activities and then participate in them together. But we've also heard from adults that say, I've been using some of these tricks and they've been really helpful to me. And in terms of what you, you call them tricks, but they're really methods for helping a child and uh, being supportive of the child. I'm wondering whether this, these, which, these techniques uh, come from uh, a lot of research or whether they're anecdotally based. Could you tell us about that for a moment, Sylvia? Sure, absolutely. So um, first of all, one of the um, ways that this book came about was that I wrote a previous book for adults called The Mindful Way to a Good Night's Sleep. And one of the editors at Story Publishing, where we worked, asked, um, well, can you um, adapt these for kids? You know, I know a lot of children would benefit from these activities. So the great thing about this is that these um, tips work for adults and kids. And in fact, a lot of adults who've picked up this book to read to their kids and to share with their kids have said that they're using the techniques for themselves too and they're really working. So are these anecdotally based? Are these research based? All of them have a basis in research. All of them have a basis in either science or psychology. And then they're adapted, you know, so then they're adapted creatively um, to suit um, children. And we did test, we, we did a little test kitchen, so to speak, on them. Um, we had some people try out the tips on their kids. So the intended audience is really parents and children reading together. But I hope since this is a book about empowering kids that they will start to take the lead and look to the book for something fun to do tonight or something to try. Um, what yeah, a, what age what age child or children are you directing this book towards? About five to five to nine, but I think really the the feedback I've gotten from parents is it really is quite flexible in terms of you know the five and up range. And it's also we've gotten um, feedback that you know the book is very timely because kids have been so stressed out since the pandemic in the last couple of years and they've really had trouble falling asleep and staying asleep. So the book has really been welcomed at this time in our in our lives. Okay, we're going to leave it there. We have been speaking with Sylvia Gover and Leslie and Newman. Their new book is How to Sleep Tight Through the Night. It is available at your local independent bookstore, wherever fine books are sold. Please buy it at your local independent bookstore. You will be very pleased that you did. Thank you so very much, Leslie. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate this. Sivia as well. What a brilliant book. Thank you so much for writing it and for sharing it with all of us. Thanks, Bill. Thanks This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. 
The city of East Hampton is looking for proposals on what to do with three former elementary schools. The city council declared Center, Pepin, and Maple Elementary schools as surplus and no longer necessary for municipal use. Officials say affordable housing has been identified as the top priority for some or all of the buildings. City planner Jeff Bagg expects the proposals to be officially available around October 12th. The independent investigation Greenfield Mayor Roxanne Wiedegardner ordered when she placed Police Chief Robert Haig and Lieutenant Todd Dodge on paid leave has been released. The investigation looked into a conversation between the two officers in a parking lot on April 22nd, which was perceived by Chief Haig as an attempt to circumvent court proceedings. The investigation was carried out by Daniel Williams of Clifford and Kenny LLP. Williams said that there is insufficient credible evidence to say that either Haig or Dodge committed perjury. A Hatfield man is facing multiple charges following a car accident on Wednesday night. According to police, the 30-year-old man was driving at a high rate of speed on North Hatfield Road around 8.30 p.m. The man lost control near the railroad crossing and rolled the car five times, landing on its roof. The man was transported to Cooley Dickinson Hospital and the car was towed from the scene. Members of the South Hadley Education Association and their supporters will be rallying today from 4 to 6 p.m. at South Hadley High School. Bargaining teams from the union and school committee will meet with a state mediator to try to resolve stalled contract talks. SHEA members will meet in the high school library where the mediation is set to take place and then bring the demonstration out into the street. For today, we'll look for a mixture of sunshine and clouds, 62 to 66. Tonight, mostly cloudy, overnight lows, 42 to 46. And the outlook for Saturday, cloudy with showers, highs around 60. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rochivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. Después de una caída pandémica, los resultados publicados el jueves de las pruebas estandarizadas del estado de la primavera de 2022 muestran una recuperación lenta y mixta. Esos resultados basados en pruebas realizadas el año escolar pasado muestran que en todos los grados y distritos de Massachusetts, las calificaciones en matemáticas y ciencias al menos han dejado de caer. Pero no ocurre lo mismo con la sección de inglés y artes del lenguaje. Además, la asistencia de los estudiantes siguió cayendo el año pasado. El estudiante promedio de Massachusetts perdió 15 días de clases el año pasado frente a los 11 días en 2020 y 2021. En una conferencia de prensa que presentó los resultados el miércoles, Jeffrey Riley, comisionado de educación del estado notó pequeños aumentos en los puntajes promedio en las secciones de matemáticas y ciencias de la prueba para los grados 3 a 8 pero los estudiantes de décimo grado vieron una modesta disminución continua en los puntajes de matemáticas mientras tanto algunos críticos del examen conocido como MCAS dicen que los desafíos de la pandemia deberían poner en duda la utilidad de las pruebas estandarizadas en este momento el estado usa sus MCAS en el grado 10 como un requisito de graduación y votó este verano para hacer que a aprobar ese examen sea más difícil. Ese nuevo umbral entra en vigor en 2024. En otras informaciones y como parte del proceso de repavimentación de High Street en Holyoke, la ciudad anunció que una prohibición de estacionamiento entrará en vigencia este viernes 30 de septiembre en High Street desde Resnick Boulevard hasta Lyman Street en ambos lados de la avenida de 6 de la mañana a 5 de la tarde. La vía estará abierta al tránsito vehicular, pero es posible que haya desvíos breves y temporales a lo largo del día. La prohibición de estacionamiento es para permitir que el contratista ajuste las estructuras de la calzada en High Street antes de la pavimentación. Yo soy Johan Rashid Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media.
This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is our usual Friday segment, Your State, You, with Max Page, who is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, who has with him and us today a very special expert on the subject of... Max, I'll leave the introduction to you. Thanks, Bill. Yes, I'm really glad to have uh, Kurt Wise, who's an analyst with the Massachusetts Budget and Policy Center, and more importantly, a resident of Western Mass and a graduate of the great Amherst Regional High School um, and an expert on tax policy. So Kurt, welcome this morning. Thanks, Max. Nice to see you. And we should note before everyone's eyes glaze over and they say, taxes, I'm turning off the radio. This is about the fair share amendment and why it really matters. So, Max. Yes, indeed. So this is, we're doing every week, right through the election, conversations and discussions about uh, the fair share amendment, which is question one on the ballot on November 8th. And this is a tax on multimillionaires and billionaires. It is a tax on income over a million dollars, an additional tax um, that would be levied only on the income above a million dollars a year. And the proceeds uh, would go to public schools, public colleges, and roads, bridges, and transportation. And it is a constitutional amendment because we actually have a flat tax system in the state established some hundred years ago. And so we're, would be this question one would change the, uh, the tax system to allow for this one extra tax bracket for income over a million dollars. So Kurt, you've written a paper um, for the Massachusetts Budget and Policy Center looking at the question that has been, has been debated a bit how much would this fair share tax generate? So tell us, at least for, first tell us the, the debate about that, about what the, what the range of numbers are from different sources. Sure. So yes, we uh, um, just produced a paper uh, looking at uh, a number of different uh, estimates produced by different folks using different methodologies um, to assess the likely revenue gain from the fair share amendment. Um, we kind of dug into what those methodologies were. The ranges are, you know, after you factor in different uh, pieces and parts, anywhere from 1.3 billion to 2.7 billion. And so we looked at these different uh, details of these different analyses and kind of tried to gauge um, what was, uh, in our estimation, the most reasonable um, sort of landing point uh, among those um, in that range. Okay, and, and let's just be clear that what we're talking about is the range of how much is generated every single year. This is not like a one-time, one-time deal. This would be every year, there's some estimate about, about how much money would come in. That's right. So let's, all right, let's just dig into that a little bit. Um, so at, the, at the, uh, the high level, who is that saying that? And why, how do they come up with 2.7 billion per year that would be generated by question one on right. a great ballot? Sure. So that's an organization called the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy out of Washington, D.C. Um, they're recognized national experts on modeling uh, tax policy, um, both at the state and federal level. And they have a very uh, extensive uh, database um, of administrative data that they draw on, and they model out how different uh, policies would, would affect different income groups and what uh, the revenue generation would be from different policies. They looked out to 2023 um, and, and came up with an estimate in Massachusetts of $2.7 billion annually generated uh, by a tax on the portion of income in excess of a million dollars. 
Okay, so it's interesting because the advocates, that's and obviously the Massachusetts Teachers Association has been a major um, advocate of this. We've generally used the round number of $2 billion. How do they get to that larger number? Like what are the kind of key factors that, that play into the 2.7 billion? Sure, so um, the $2 billion estimate is one from typically based on a DOR, Department of Revenue estimate in Massachusetts. Uh, and that was looking more at 2019 incomes. Again, the ITEP uh, modeling is updated to 2023 20, uh, income projections. And you know, income has both grown in the intervening years, um, inflation has pushed up income gains, and there's been increasing concentration of income at the top end of the income distribution. So they're uh, uh, still a very small number, but slightly more people who are getting, you know, the larger slice of the pie, and so their incomes are growing. That's the portion of the pie that we'd be taxing um, with fair share amendment. Okay, so that's interesting, because obviously the fair share amendment has been under consideration for a number of years, and you're saying that the the two billion dollar estimate is actually several years old now and um and then actually i think i'm going to translate what you just said which is the rich got a lot richer during the pandemic right <laughs> Meaning there's that, is a, more, that is the shorthand way of saying uh, and, that and uh it got more concentrated and therefore when this organization itep looks at it, the institute of on taxation and economic policy with the more updated numbers, they say actually there's more millionaires, more people who might be subject to this, and therefore the revenue generated would be higher. Right. Okay. Correct. So then let's just try to understand for a second the the people on the on the lower end, which is still, I think, 1.3 billion dollars a year. Um, they're suggesting. So how does that they come to a very different thing? You know, almost two, you know, a half of of what is suggested by ITEP. Sure. So uh, to begin with, um, they uh, have a baseline estimate. Um, Let's who they is. This is so a, the yeah. CSPA, um, the Center on State Policy Analysis out of Tufts, um, produced an analysis recently. Um, and uh, their baseline estimate is $2.3 billion that would be generated annually. Um, I believe that they grew the Department of Revenue estimate slightly using um, sort of a long-term trends in income growth that they saw in Massachusetts, arrived at a $2.3 billion estimate. And then they look at various studies that suggest that um, people, some portion of people are going to um, respond to a higher tax rate by leaving the state. Although CSPA also recognized that um, that was a very small number of people, but a small uh, revenue loss due to that departure, departure of those folks. And then more importantly, they looked at studies that suggest that there's going to be increased levels of tax avoidance, that when people see higher taxes, they're going to try and avoid them. Uh, and based on one particular study, um, they uh, concluded that revenues would drop very quickly uh, or, you know, a significant revenue drop resulting from that kind of increased tax avoidance. I see. Interesting. Okay. So go ahead, Bill. No, listen, I just to say, um, we, we have just about 30 seconds left. We're going to have, uh, uh, Kurt, Kurt Wise, who is Senior Policy Analyst at Mass Budget and Policy Center, back with him next week uh, for an additional time with us, and we will continue the conversation with Max Page on the Fair Share Amendment next Friday, uh, as well as we'll do that every Friday between now and the election, because the Fair Share Amendment is so very important to the future of Massachusetts. But Kurt, before we go today, or Max, you want to have a final word for today's segment? 
Well, great. It's been great to have you, Kurt. And so I think the, the, the key thing, the key takeaway is that there's sort of a consensus somewhere around $2 billion, which is what the advocates have been saying, that would be generated by this. And there's some level of debate up and down between that. But it actually might be much a good bit higher than that because of the growing concentration of wealth in the state. Right. It's a lot of money for education and transportation in Massachusetts really needs and will use so effectively. It's such an important policy question that we get to, as voters, get to decide that Tuesday in November. Kurt Wise, we'll speak to you next week. Max Page as well. Thank you both so very much. Thank you very much. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Nothing but doesn't show. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Voting as well as early voting is the way to go. It shows that we trust the voters. They know why they need an early ballot. They know why they need an absentee ballot. It's not up to government to decide if it's a legitimate reason or not. The voters should get to choose. So this, I think, is a huge advance. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Ron Carter played with Miles Davis in the 60s with A Tribe Called Quest in the 90s. This Saturday, Ron Carter brings his quartet to Northampton's Academy of Music. The Northampton Jazz Festival, kicking off Friday with a jazz strut. Seven jazz ensembles around town. Saturday, the Freddie Bryant Brazilian Trio, Ashley Pizzotti. In Pulaski Park, Hot Club of New York spins rare jazz 78s. And so much more. This Friday and Saturday, jazz abounds downtown. See the full festival lineup at the Northampton Jazz Fest website. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster. Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2. Only on WHMP. Brought to you by Business West. The vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Smith Academy in Hatfield is accepting school choice applications through September 30th. With class sizes averaging 10 students, Smith Academy can offer more than 20 clubs, 7 AP courses, 14 sports teams, work studies and internships, free dual enrollment at HCC and Smith College, and computer science for all students. With a graduation rate of over 95%, most college-bound, Smith Academy can prepare you for the next step. No cost to apply or attend. Call them or go to HatfieldPS.net and schedule a tour today. At American National, what's important to you is important to us. Just like every horse is unique, so is our equine coverage. American National's equine owner's insurance is designed to address the inherent risks involved with owning horses. Flexible enough to provide property and liability coverage for operations of various sizes, yet can be tailored for your specific needs. We're right by your side. For more information, just visit AmericanNational.com. American National Property and Casualty Company and Affiliates, Springfield, Missouri. 
This is Bill Newman, WHMP. The beat goes on. And this is Artbeat with Donabel Cassis. Donabel, the microphone and the pleasure of the introduction of our very special guest is yours. Donabel. Thank you, Bill. Good morning. This weekend, starting tonight, is a great time to head to the hills, especially to Cummington. There's a lot to do and see. And joining us today is Leslie Farron, Director of Farron Contemporary in North Adams, Project Art in Cummington, and was a founding partner in Pinch Pottery in Thorns in 1979. Welcome, Leslie. Thanks so much for including me in this conversation. <laughs> of course. So Leslie, let's start by talking about the Art Salon, which is happening tonight. If you're not familiar with the Art Salon, it's an engaging evening of presentations by local artists. And tonight's Art Salon will feature presentations by five local artists, two of which have sculptures in the current Reflections Art Walk on Main Street. Leslie, can you tell us about the project and a little bit about these two artists, Sergey and Becky? Well, um, with full transparency, Sergey and I own the building together at Project Art at 54 Main Street, where the receptions are going to be held. And mm -hmm. Becky is um, one of these people that wears many hats, and one of them is she works behind the scenes at Fair and Contemporary. She comes from North Adams, and she's going to be bringing um, a really wonderful presentation um, tonight, uh, introducing her social practice work and um, community work that she does in North Adams as a mural painter. Mm. And Sergey um, and Becky and nine other artists have work on view. As you said, they're public art sculptures and the Cummington Cultural District, which is pending, but the project um, Reflections was funded by the Hilltown CDC grant. Um, and nine artists ended up making new works, and those will be on view from one end of our short Main Street to the other. Sergey has a really incredible um, crowdsourced mosaic sculpture where, as he was building it, the neighbors kept dropping off their broken, chipped, unwanted <laughs> ceramics. So nice. um, <laughs> then he went and dug in the shard piles of all the local potters. And <laughs> there's actually a few of the mud shark um, pieces that come out of the Westfield River. So everybody can find something that they relate to in this uh, wonderful sculpture in front of Project Art. Oh my gosh. Well, of course, I didn't mention their last name. Sergey Isipov is the ceramic sculptor and Becky Waterhouse is the other artist who does a lot of public art. Now tonight, the art salon presentations begin at 6.30 at the Cummington Community House, but the fun starts at five at Project Art. Now you founded Project Art with Sergey as a live workspace and you'll be hosting an open studio prior to the art salon what kind of programming do you offer at Project Art? Well, interestingly enough, as we prepared for the art salon, um, we threw in some photos of what the building looked like in 2003 when we first saw it. Uh, it's an old mill building. And over the years, we've done workshops, we've done live workshops, we've had residencies, we've had short workshops, week-long workshops. People have come from all over the world to um, to work with Sergey and the other artists who have presented here. And then COVID, abrupt stop, no more in person. Mm -hmm. And we received a grant to figure out how to do um, online workshops. So 
it's it's really served a lot of purposes and when we um bought it it was raw it was renovated and we enjoyed quite a sort of bucolic existence during covid because it was all very self-contained so when you come tonight, you'll see the building, you'll see all the different things that go on here, um, and then a lot of great artwork. Mm -hmm. And you have some really cool t-shirts, I think. Sergey designed the t-shirts too. Yeah, he kind of got into um, making <laughs> Cummington swag, you know, so. Um, <laughs> The shirts are, are really wonderful. They say the word Cummington on it. They feature Miss Comet. They feature oh, the mosaic sculpture. They feature one of his fire sculptures. Um, mm -hmm. And he did them all with a lino cut and hand printed them. So mm -hmm. they really are, you know, very carefully done. Um, they're beautiful. They're, yeah. yeah and, they, and they're in a rainbow of fall colors, too. Oh, well. <laughs> Get your Cummington swag at Project Art tonight. Now, the art salon is tonight, so that sort of kicks off this art weekend. Now, this weekend, Saturday, October 1st and 2nd, is the Hilltown Open Studios event, which is hosted by the Hilltown Arts Alliance, where 23 artists across six Hilltowns will open their spaces, have demos, and there's even a wine tasting. It sounds like a great event. What will you be doing for this weekend? Well, we're open um, to anyone who wanders through, um, and we hope there'll be lots of wanderers and enjoying the foliage and visiting our neighbor's studios. Um, we have three artists actually on the tour. Um, Jean Johns, who's a portrait painter, um, Sergei Yusupov, and his um, wife, Kadri Parnamit. So they will all have artwork that is for sale, and they're, um, the summer gallery, I call it summer because it's unheated, but it'll be plenty warm this weekend. Mm -hmm. um, and that features works, uh, selected works from fair and contemporaries artists as well. Um, in addition, there'll be, you know, you can come in the building, the artists will be there to talk to. Um, another Hilltown artist will be painting in our um, studio, Mara Superior, she works on porcelain. Oh, so yeah, it's a but the best thing about Cummington is that you can start the whole tour in the same place that the Hill, the um, um, art salon takes place with an mm -hmm. overview of what's at all the studios, pick up a map. This is all at the community house. So tonight that will be available. And then all through um, Saturday and Sunday, start at the hub and then work your way around the, I think, six towns, 23 studios. I mean, what an incredible way to sort of yeah, enjoy the fall foliage. It's going to be a beautiful weekend and to see so much art and people working in their spaces. Now, Leslie, you have your gallery up at North Adams and you have your basic headquarters at Project Art. How do you see the art community up in this area, the Hilltowns? Well, having been in the area for so long, I love the sort of lineage that has formed, especially for me within the ceramics community. So Mark Shapiro, he's on the tour um, this weekend. And when he set up his studio with two other potters, um, they've all created kilns. So this is just, just it's just wonderful that we um, can open this year because COVID kind of kept things quiet for a couple of years. So this is a great um, opportunity. 
Well, Leslie Farron, I really appreciate what you do for the community as well as oh, um, you're so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> coordinating all this stuff that's going on in Cummington. And if you want to know more information, go to theartsalon.com for the event tonight and hilltownartsalliance.org for the open studios and projectr01026.com uh, for more details. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Donna Bell Cassis. Again, tonight's event is starts when and where? 6.30 to 8. It's the Art Salon in the Cummington Community House. There's a pre-open house at Project Art on Main Street in Cummington. And go back there after the Art Salon for a reception from 8 to 9. Donna Bell Cassis, Leslie Farron, thank you both so very much. Thank you. Thank you. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. Pounding a rhythm to the brain. La da 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 dee. La da 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 da. Charleston was once the rage. Uh -huh. The Food Bank of Western Massachusetts is the region's largest hunger relief clearinghouse. They have been since 1982. They distribute fresh produce, including vegetables from 39 local farms, dairy, grains, and other nutritious foods to families and individuals facing hunger. The Food Bank is proud to partner with hundreds of food pantries, meal programs, and social service organizations to provide hunger relief in all four counties of Western Mass. Did you know that they also offer free SNAP outreach, helping anyone who needs support navigating the process of applying for federal food assistance. They also offer free bags of groceries through programs like the Mobile Food Bank, which hosts food distribution events at outdoor sites. Everyone is welcome to pick up food all year round. No ID or proof of need required. Learn more about the Food Bank at foodbankwma.org or by calling 413-247-9738. The Food Bank of Western Mass, committed to making sure our neighbors in need have enough to eat and leading the community to end hunger. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station.